Welcome, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Baseball Experience, the number one baseball podcast for exciting and passionate fan debate and opinion regarding the game, its strategies, statistics, philosophies, rules, and more. I'm your host, Cody, here with my brother and co-host, Chris, and you are listening to episode three. Today, we're covering war, Hall of Fame voting, and steroids, uh, specifically as they pertain to the Hall of Fame voting process. So to kick things off here, uh, we'll dive right into war. Uh, if you're like me uh, and, and you've been a fan for a long time, war kind of came about out of nowhere, really. Um, I remember the first time it was getting talked about. I had never heard of it before, and for good reason. It was a new statistic. Um, however, the problem was no one ever really explained what it was on a deeper level. And so part of this podcast is to help me learn more about the game as well. And I, and I hope to extend that to all the listeners too, um, because I, I can almost guarantee that a lot of the people that I play with really don't know how it's calculated. That's typically kept a mystery and you, you really have to go out of your way just to know how it is uh, calculated and what the formula is. So, uh, so we're, we're going to break that down uh, here on this show. However, it'll be fairly topical. And what I'll do is I'll create a, a second uh, individual podcast that is solely focused on the discussion of war to really get into the weeds because it's a pretty easy thing to do uh, when it comes to this stat. So war, what is it? It stands for wins above replacement. And so when you're told that, it comes across as something fairly easy to understand. It's a fairly intuitive uh, stat in that regard. However, you don't necessarily know the means in which uh, they arrived at that number. So what war is, it measures the player's value uh, in all facets of the game uh, by deciphering how many more wins uh, that player has been worth compared to a replacement level player. Okay, easy enough. It's essentially in the title. Uh, however, uh, this can be computed both for position players and pitchers separately. And the way it works essentially is we're evaluating position players by their run production uh, as a means to translate that into wins. And so the way the formula works is that you have the number of runs above average uh, that a player is worth offensively. Uh, and that comes through three different metrics, his batting, base running, and his fielding. And then you'll take into account uh, an adjustment factor for position and for the league. And then that's played against uh, the replacement player and and what they're, they're deemed to be capable of. Uh, and then that's divided by runs per win. So it gets kind of complicated quickly because it starts uh, with runs above average. And so that's a statistic of its own, typically seen as weighted runs above, above average. And so that's going to measure how many runs a hitter contributes uh, compared to an average player in which the average player is set at a baseline of zero. The thing is, runs above average is utilizing the statistic uh, weighted on base average. So so now you, now you have uh, essentially a compounded statistic uh, that's uh, being used to help determine this number. Not such a big deal. I'll break that down, why that's important in the separate podcast, but uh, it does have an impact. The difference, though, is 
runs above average is accounting stat uh, because when it takes into uh, account the weighted on base average computation, it then multiplies that number by the number of plate appearances uh, that player had. So, you know, a longer season, not a longer season, but more games played and more bats is going to amount to a greater uh, runs above average, um, you know, for, for players who may, if, if they appear to have the same production, some of these things can get modified uh, or, or just come out differently through uh, the calculations of, of that statistic. So now it's a good, good way to start for offense. Everything that matters is what you do to produce runs. So whether that comes in the form of swinging the bat or, running the bases well or playing your position well, uh, that all goes into the calculation. So so it's a good good stat uh, to start. Uh, however, there's, there's some problems in that it's not standardized. And so depending on where you get your war uh, from, where it's sourced from, uh, that calculation may be a little bit different. So uh, there's a few different sites out there, fan graphs, Baseball Reference and Baseball Prospectus, uh, they they have all slight modifications to uh, the statistic of war. Um, so these, for that reason, it it becomes something that when you just deliver a composite score, yes, it's it's telling you a nice thing about that player and and his production. However, it it does hide a lot in terms of how that conclusion was reached. So. Chris, what are your initial thoughts on on this stat? Were you like me, like, you know, came out of nowhere and thought to yourself, what the heck is this? Yeah, basically it was like something, you know, that you kind of saw, let's say within, you know, let's say five years, but honestly, it was probably around 10. Uh, it was something that, you know, sports writers wanted to catch on because ultimately when we're evaluating players, what is the real reason that we want to know how valuable that individual person is and Really, how much of an impact are they making on their team? That's where, you know, having wins above replacement, it takes into effect of so many different categories of statistics to where it can be a little askew to where if some players aren't playing as much compared to, you know, players who have played over 3,000 games, you know, consecutively, there's players that have a bigger impact, you know, consecutively more. So... I think it's a good stat. I don't think it's something that we're going to, you know, use quite as much yet. I think we're still tweaking it. We're letting people evaluate it. But ultimately, it's something that we we just wanted to know. How valuable is that one player? How much are they helping, you know, their team really win? You know, are they getting on on base? Are they are they really adding run production? That's where I I see is this being something where we want to know as individuals about our favorite players we want to think of them as as great as can be and we want to know really how much of an impact you know something with entertainment you know the value of players that we did on one of the previous podcasts knowing the value of a contract and now knowing the value of a player as a whole adding to your team and that wins and runs so i I think it's something you know that's it's very fun of a statistic right now and i think it's still new you know in my eyes as well but it's something that i do enjoy seeing so i i want you to take it you know a little at a time but we're seeing this come you know much more valuable and it's something that's said you know on on 
on quick relays, highlights. It's something that's going to be a part of average. It might even be labeled at the bottom on your TV pretty soon. So we'll see where it goes, but I'm still pretty new to it. And yeah. Yeah, it's it's gaining a lot of steam and traction in terms of its use. So it's uh, it. I think it is a good stat and it the nice thing with it is you can play around with it a little bit. And the other advantage it has, it's a really nice uh, stat to use to compare similar positions because in this stat, it weights uh, those positions differently. And actually, there's some positions uh, like first base in which their baseline run measurement is a negative number. So a first baseman has to produce that much more uh, at the plate and in in other means in order to be uh, in order to reach the same kind of war that a shortstop would be able to achieve even with uh, lesser offensive production. So it's really great if you want to compare position to position. And I, I think that's important. If you're a GM and you're building a team, your team is a comparison to the rest of the league anyway. So if you if you have the best first baseman and the best shortstop and the best third baseman, but you're lacking in other areas, this stat's a good way to give you insight into where you stack up with the rest of the league. So I, I like it for that. It's also kind of nice, I think, for utility players in a way also, because if a player does log a bunch of a bunch of games at different positions, you can look at war, break them out positionally, and then see where uh, they're adding the most value or, or even hurting your team the most. So it's kind of cool in that, in that sense. Uh, the more you get into it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, to do these deep dives into into war, and the more the more I look into it, uh, it, the more interesting it becomes. So to give everyone a sense of you know what a good measurement of war is, if you're and this is according to to Baseball Reference, and so everyone can kind of view it a little bit differently. But so if you're at the 8.0 or above, that's viewed as MVP level. Uh, if you're at a five plus, that's a All Star level. And then if you're two or above, you're, you're probably a starter somewhere. And, and below that, you're, you're actually at, you, you know, you probably expect to see yourself on the bench or, uh, you know, you're more in, in that actual replacement category. Uh, one thing to note, uh, since, especially for position players, since you can break out war into offensive and defensive components, those two actually do not sum up to make the total war. Uh, which is what we normally refer to. But so to give you an idea, this year's war leader uh, among all players was Cody Bellinger. He came in at 9.0. And so his uh, offensive war specifically was a 6.6. This is according to uh, baseballreference.com. And his uh, defensive war is not in the top 10. He would have needed a 2.4 to add up to that. And so he's he's not on that list. That list goes down to number 10 of uh, Walters from Colorado who had a 2.0. So he, he's not on that list. So that's that's something to keep in mind. Uh, and the reason for that is the way the stat is counted. If if that were to happen, uh, then you you would get duplicates uh, in in the computation there. And so it, it, it would skew everything and, and throw it off. Yeah. And I like some of the points you bring up too, is just showing how, you know, having a defensive war and offensive, but even touching base on utility players, having, you know, multiple areas where you could get statistics on how valuable a player is and really adding, you know, the old saying is, you know, defense wins games. So having a guy that could be in multiple positions is just something where, and if he's 
someone who's got a good average and, you know, is not quite, you know, found a spot. There's someone else with, let's say, a big bat that's doing large run production or large offensive production. Having a, you know, someone who has a great war in defense just shows you, you know, they could tweak and kind of alter with their statistics to find the good kind of, you know, uniformity within the team, you know, fitting to every aspect, all the loose holes in the end they're filling, you know, so it's something where I think this statistic is helpful in evaluating more players that aren't just, let's say, you know, a pitcher that throws 95 to 100 or a hitter that's going to hit 25, you know, 30, 40 bombs a year. That's something where you'll you'll see where this stat kind of falls into place too, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So some last thoughts on it. Since it isn't standardized, it's kind of a an interesting stat that way. It's not officially recognized by MLB. You know, obviously, they're aware of it and, and many analysts use it, but you know, you're, you're probably not going to find it on the back of a baseball card. I don't know that for sure, but be, for those reasons, it's, uh, you know, and it just is, uh, it's, it's, it's not utilized uh, in the same way for, for various other things. So, and, and a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that the inputs can be different depending on the source used. I'll have to take a look at seeing how much the, Two different choices of statistical inputs impact uh, that end result number. Um, but for that reason, it's, I think, uh, if you can't come to an agreement on what the best way or, a, you know, just a standardized way to use the statistic is, then it's, it's probably not going to be recognized by MLB. You know, it's going to continue to be that way uh, until, until it does arrive in a standardized format. And then lastly, it's using... Uh, it's using runs to predict wins uh, and a, as a way to evaluate players. But uh, as we're already talking about, since you can break it down into different categories, I think it just begs the question, are all runs created equal? And I think the answer to that is probably no, especially given that the calculations for runs involving a position player utilize offense, defense, and base running. And so you can probably think of a number of different situations in which one is going to be more important than the other uh, or can make very drastic changes in a game and a t- and a team's ability to score runs. And so it, even just comparing uh, that list of offensive and defensive war, the numbers are very uh, lopsided. Offense, offense comes in a lot higher. Uh, Trout, he was the offensive war leader this past season at 8.3. Uh, he came in uh, number three overall, but he but so the highest defensive war is only a two point six. Uh, so so that gives you an idea um, just the impacts things have on on the final calculation here. So you know if you it, it's essentially the long and the short of it is if you're uh, looking at war or being shown a, a player's war, you need to make sure that you're also considering what position that player plays and making sure that you understand where the greatest weight in that calculation lies for that specific player. So if you're being shown more of two different positions, uh, just it's something to keep in mind um, because some positions get a huge boost like catcher and then others, uh, like I mentioned with first base, um, they actually get a big detraction. So uh, it's, it's a, it's something to just always keep in mind if if you're ever looking at it and trying to reach some sort of conclusion when talking about a player or whatever. 
So that being said, uh, since war uh, has a bit of a cumulative effect, or we can at least utilize it in that way, it actually becomes a pretty good statistic for evaluating players over a long period of time or good lengthy periods of time uh, uh, that are snapshots of a career because that can help reduce some of the volatile effects of a single season where there's just kind of crazy extraneous factors that can really inflate or deflate a a single season war. So for that, uh, I kind of like it in terms of its use looking at Hall of Fame voting for that reason. And initially I was a little skeptical, um, but the more I looked at it, the more this to me is where I think it becomes really fun and, uh, and an interesting thing to, to look at and a, and a tool for evaluating players uh, when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Uh, so for that, Chris, a uh, little, little trivia mm-hmm. for you. I know it's your favorite. Do you know who the all-time career war leader is? All-time career war leader. Hmm. I'm going to go with, let's say, Barry Bonds. Uh, no, but very, very close. He's... Uh, he's, uh, number four. Uh, so the top player all time, sorry, by the way, Barry Bonds comes in at 162.8. Uh, the top player all time is none other than Babe Ruth himself. So the King, he's, uh, he's, he's certainly proving that here. So, uh, 182.4 wins above replacement. And so what's nice is when you look at this, and again, that's, this is according to baseballreference.com. What I think is awesome when you look at, at the top 20, they're all Hall of Famers. I mean, these are all big, big names, Ruth, Walter Johnson, Cy Young, Barry Bonds. It, well, he, not he's not in yet. Um, you know, we'll 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 actually get into him uh, later. Uh, but Willie Mays, Ty Cobb, Hank Aaron. You know, it, it goes on and on. So when you look at that, and even in the list, you know, it goes very far down to where you're still finding a lot of Hall of Fame players. And so I, I think it becomes very interesting because I know the voting, as it stands right now, the voters do take into account uh, the longevity of a career. And so war is kind of a nice way to help capture some of that because you're going to have a higher war the longer you play, you have more opportunities to produce. So I think it's becoming a more and more acceptable means for looking at players, especially in terms of Hall of Fame voting and certainly a good starting point and or ending point if you need some sort of kicker. Definitely. Along with that, so if I were to ask you right now, who do you think the best player in the league is? Who would you say? For war? In the league? Uh, no, no, just in your in your mind, in your mind, you and what probably the rest of the baseball world would say as of right now, mm-hmm. uh, among active players, who would you say is uh, the best the best player? For myself, I would have to go with Mike Trout. Okay, yep. and I and I would agree with you, and I think uh, a good majority of other folks would too. Certainly, he's earned it, <laughs> nonetheless. So, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, what I find interesting uh, with regard to Mr. Trout is so right now he is already sitting at 72.5. And so he's been in the league uh, nine nine years, nine seasons uh, is is, uh, what that's uh, accounting for. And he's uh, 27 years old. So right now is if if I just do some very basic uh, average projections here, that's an average of 8.06 war per year thus far. If I'm just 
doing very simple math, his total divided by years. Uh, so Babe Ruth, his average was 8.29. Now I know uh, I'd have to go back and look this up somewhere. I know Trout most recently is, has actually been steadily uh, raising that average. And so I think it becomes very exciting uh, because if you project that average out now uh, over a 22-year career, uh, assuming he he gets there, there that far, just to make all this even, that would put him at 177.2 and he would uh, take over second place all time. So I think that's a pretty pretty awesome thing to potentially accomplish here and uh, if if anyone's going to do it, I, I think he certainly can. Certainly true in all aspects and defense and offense and just always plays hard, you know. So being and staying humble always helps a little bit, too. <laughs> Don't get the, the bad chip off the shoulder. So he's a great player and continues to do what he does. And hopefully they can continue to maybe get into the playoffs one year and maybe bring a championship home. But we'll see for the Angels. Yeah, one of these days, hopefully. We'll see. We'll see. They they got Joe Madden now, so who knows? And Anthony Rendon. Hopefully it's enough. Yeah. All right. So as we're segueing into the Hall of Fame voting, we have uh, we have this year's results. Uh, Derek Jeter got in. Uh, I think everyone was expecting that. And then uh, Larry Walker made it in. So those were the two players voted in. And then additionally, we have Marvin Miller and Ted Simmons also going in. Uh, let me get uh, some of your thoughts here on... Uh, this year's class. Yeah. So, you know, one thing just to point out right away too is Derek Jeter got in on his first ballot and Larry Walker came in on his last year on the 10th. So that's, you know, kind of interesting to see both of those and the steps and amount of time it does take, you know, just to quantify their accomplishments as well. Uh, But this, you know, year and kind of been gaining traction I'd say is a few guys that I want to notate you know, on their eighth year of the ballot were Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens, and Barry Bonds. And that's something where all of those, you know, three names are very hot in the topic, you know, especially things aside, just in Hall of Fame, what they accomplished throughout their careers and how much of an impact they did have, but also the allegations and, you know, things where PEDs, steroids were involved with some of these players and so the topic is hard to quantify or you know let them go into the hall of fame you could see it you know from both sides but having players who may or may not have cheated to gain an advantage or edge over another player given at the same time is of course unfair another aspect would be Basically, to hit a ball, you still have to have some type of skill. You can't really just say this is, you know, quantifiable to say that it's okay to use steroids. It won't help you that much, you know, to hit a ball. But you still, in baseball, you need to be able to have pitch recognition as a hitter, seeing the rotation of a curveball coming out of a pitcher's hand, being patient, knowing when and when not to swing and fitting in with the team. There's a lot of aspects that go into this, and it's hard not to say, no, it's it's not allowed at all, but these players, and given at the time, who knows how many were in use of PEDs. There's been, you know, from Palmer, or Rafael Palmero having that book that came out, Jose Canseco, he was another name that, you know, unfortunately didn't go on from there. 
But these guys went through a period where it was very common to see you had names popping up left and right of, you know, all these players that you loved watching. Whether well, is, you know, some of my favorites, and I remember watching with you, Cody, was seeing Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, you know, competing for a single season, you know, home run leader, ultimately. So Barry Bonds does have that. Barry Bonds has so many different aspects, not only in home runs, having 762 total, but also 73 home runs in a single season. He did something that was incredible. You almost wanted to walk him or he'd hit a home run. That's something, yeah, I could have a lot more power. But that presence, that confidence is another thing. And ultimately, one of the things that you'll see amongst a lot of baseball writers is just holding players accountable. You know, once you allow this door to be opened, there's not many ways to get it back. There has also been some, you could say, allegations towards people that already got in. Not to name names. But certain players, I've, I've heard once of Jeff Bagwell, some other pitchers were potentially using these things, but it was never really, you know, investigated further. So we have some people who feel like others are getting by and not the full extent of reprimands have been made to players or in full investigations. You, you kind of make, like we said back with the Houston Astros on a previous podcast, you set examples, but you also have to preserve the game. Seeing this as maybe just where we say, hey, you players need to be accountable. We can't let this happen. We've already reprimanded them. But we do also need to take an effect of what do the people think? And that's why when we have these ballots, they are useful for that to see, you know, you could cast your Hall of Fame ballot votes and you want to have an influence in Ultimately, these baseball writers want you to see who the public wants as well. I'm still curious to see which route they're going to take with some of these power arms, these big bats, these guys that ultimately have all of the accolades underneath their belt, all the notches that I've put in over the years that do deserve them a spot in Cooperstown. Some may say if we, we make a separation, this was we need to identify this was a steroid era. This is what had happened. Now let's quantify it, put it in one spot and maybe include them just for the accolades they did have. Because it, it's something where if you don't have the all time hits leader, you don't have the all-time home run leader, you don't have the all-time Cy Young Award leader. All these players are not getting, you know, their their recognition for what they have done. So I, I think it's it's something we need to hold accountable, but also take into respect of what they accomplished and what do the public think about this. So any any take on those three, just from those, the all-time hits leader, Cy Young Award and home runs, those those names, uh, so Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Pete Rose. What do you think about those three? Um, I personally, I would, uh, well, you, know, you already know I'm a fan of Pete Rose. I really couldn't care less uh, about the, the gambling stuff. To me, I, I don't know. It doesn't hold much weight in my mind. Unfortunately, I think they'll probably keep him out probably until he passes away, not to make it morbid, but I think in a way to just kind of snub him. Mm -hmm. But anyways, that's 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 a big discussion for another day. But um, I'm totally in favor of uh, Bonds and Clemens getting in. I know that can be a bit controversial there. And, you know, they're like 
this is a very divisive topic regarding this because you you already hit a lot of the points back and forth. If you you know if you let one in, do you let them all in? And who's already um, in? Because yeah, there's a whole generation of players that are not in the Hall of Fame because of their attachment to these steroid labels and other PED labels. So, uh, however, uh, Bonds and Clemens do continue to get a fair number of the votes. And it is possible, you know, they're coming up on the end here. They got two more years. You know, the the Writers Association uh, works in mysterious ways sometimes. And it is uh, conceivable that they could get in on on their last year. Uh, They're not not so far away uh, from achieving that. So there's other players on that list uh, that are also attached, you know, that have uh, associations there. You know, guys like Sosa, Andy Pettit, he was, he was attached to some HDH uh, stuff, Manny Ramirez, you know, so there's, there's guys on there, uh, you know, their vote totals are much lower right now. But, um, you know, Schilling, Clemens and Bonds, they're, they're at 60% or higher. And in fact, um, sorry, I, I, don't, I don't mean to really lump uh, shilling in there. Um, but so uh, Clemens and Bonds, uh, they're both slightly above 60%. Um, so it is it is conceivable that within the last two years here uh, that they do make it in. They're, they're also kind of a, a good candidate in a lot of ways to, to be another example in which, you know, we're not going to give it to them in this way, baseball, major league baseball and the baseball hall of fame. Um, they might find another way to, uh, honor them for lack of a better word, I guess, uh, you know, depending on your, your view on the whole steroids and cheating thing. Um, a lot of writers are starting to come around on it. And obviously uh, you see that in the number of votes that they're getting, but it is kind of crazy. You know, the all time home run leader isn't in, uh, you know, the best pitcher of our generation that we saw growing up, Roger Clemens, he's not in. And yeah, I think uh, maybe we need to go outside the box here with who who votes on it. You have a public hearing. And I mean, yeah, I don't know. You could, you could go a number of ways on this. It's kind of, that's that's what makes it interesting and I think fun to debate about. Maybe, maybe we should leave it up to the players. Uh, maybe they should be the ones to do a vote on it. You know, I think they're equally divided as fans would be. I know there's there's players. Uh, Eric Burns, he you know he believes that both of them should be in. I'm sure there's uh, plenty of, of players that feel the opposite way. But you already hit on the big points. You don't know for sure who's doing what. That whole era was a mess. Uh, it was kind of unfortunate. You know, we you and I grew up watching baseball during that time, and it like, you know fun. it was awesome. You're right, like the home run chases and stuff. Yeah, it's a very complicated matter. So uh, for me, yeah, I mean, I, I I would vote for both of them. I guess my question is if the Hall of Fame needs to distinguish their accolades uh, differently from uh, the rest of the players. There, yeah, I think that'd be okay. You know, it's not something where I think they would feel bad about that either. They understand what position, what actions they took. They've been publicly humiliated or just shown what they have done. Everyone knows it's not. And this is why we see this struggling pattern and this slow climb for the players that have the best accolades that we saw. We'll see how it really goes on. But I I think, and I agree with you, that they should be in if it wants to be a little asterisk. That's okay. We need to get them in there just to highlight what they did. That's just the bottom line. 
If you're a baseball lover, you do understand what parameters are ethical and what needs to be held accountable. There's certain things in the game that, that players understand that I think people understand and adopt and either sympathize or, or just move on from. But it, it's now something where we have implementation of drug tests and, and screening that happens constantly to keep things within good standards. So I, I think we're moving in the right direction. They did set the bar high. Maybe that was the help of PEDs, moving them up the list. But ultimately, I do believe they belong in there in the same book. I can't wait to see how it goes over the next couple of years. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch, uh, especially if you think about next year's voting, you know, to see how much traction they gain or not uh, uh, to be a potential indicator for their final year of voting, assuming that they don't get in next year. Yeah. Uh, so with that said, do you think that the whole voting process should be different or anything like that, because here, here we have, you know, so, so for instance, Derek Jeter, everyone knew he was going to get in. And I think everyone voting would vote for him. However, he was one vote shy of a unanimous vote. Do those things really matter? No. I mean, you, you can make them matter if you want, but, but it does, it is a, it does become a funny thing when, you're like, okay, so who's the guy that didn't vote for Derek Cheater? The guy that wants in, to be you know, famous publicly. He did it on purpose. I guess. You know, I mean, well, you know, he could uh, he could be down in the in the in the players that didn't make it and are now not only did they not make it, but they'll be now dropping off the ballots. But so there there were uh, four players who got one vote. Um, and so you're Intuition probably wants to point the finger at the person whoever voted for one of those. It's not necessarily true. It could be anywhere among all the other votes that were cast. But regardless, Adam Dunn, Brad Penny, Raul Ibanez, and J.J. Putz all got one vote. All in their first year, and too. Yeah, so that's it. They're going to be dropping off. They're not the only ones. Uh, Paul Konerko, which is kind of sad for me. I, I, I wish he would have gotten a longer look, but but he he failed to get to the 5% there. Uh, Jason Giambi, uh, Alfonso Soriano, Eric Chavez, Cliff Lee, they're all, they're all dropping off. And then the rest of the crowd uh, received zero votes there. Uh, so there's still more names after that. But, you know, it's tough. Uh, you know, to be on the list at all is is an honor to get on the list. You've established that you're better than just a good player. You've been a, you were a great player. Most of them do it for a long time. Some have higher peaks and maybe a little less longevity, but um, one way or another, the players that make this list, they tend to leave some impression on you that, Hey, yeah, he, uh, you know, he might, he might get in one day. You know, they, they just have a different way about them, man. I just, uh, this class is very interesting because as we already mentioned, yeah, the nearly unanimous vote first year, and then Larry Walker gets in on his last try uh, and had a huge leap in voting percentage. And so it almost makes me wonder, do, are these becoming pity votes or something like that? You know, and believe me, I, I, I want Walker in the Hall of Fame. So I'm not I'm not knocking his career at all. I'm actually surprised it took as as long as it did. I know uh, I think a big hang up for him with the voters was um, some of the injuries and stuff that he faced where he wasn't really playing full seasons and things like that. But overall, they the writers, you, you can argue, 
they get it right, I think. And it's one of those things that, you know, as a fan, you always want your players to get in, um, whoever you're a fan of and supporting. But the fact of the matter is it's a, it's a hall of fame for a reason. And, you know, it, it still has to be reserved for the elite, not, not just the great. So, but yeah, the foil of, uh, their, their voting process, I, you know, it's, uh, it just makes you wonder, are we doing it the right way or not? Yeah, or even, you know, taking kind of in what war has done, having multiple aspects, multiple people. Let's say we have, you know, Baseball Writers Association here. We have, like you said, maybe let's have the players all vote and then do a public one and put those three together and you get one total sum. Maybe that's something we could do to get a good, you know, crossover check with not only players but ultimately those guys those writers are you know experts in what they do and they studied the game and probably watched played loved the game for many years so i i think getting you know current past and a good public evaluation would be something possibly to take into account but we'll kind of see moving forward what are your thoughts on that yeah i think i would like to see it change a little bit uh, i do I think it'd be kind of nice to have it divided up a little bit to where it's not just the writers voting. So we can, I think it'd be fair to still give them kind of the majority of the voting power. But, you know, I think it's it's worth looking into um, and and potentially figuring out a process that way. So uh, to kind of conclude all of this, who, who do you think has a higher career war, Jeter or Walker? Hmm. Jeter or Walker? So, I mean, at first glance, of course, mine draws to Jeter, and I am a Yankee fan, technically, Cody, coming from California. Don't tell anyone on the podcast here. If you're listening, you are the only ones knowing this right now. But I would say Jeter, number two, I think would come up. I've seen BaseballReference.com, so I know as well his... War is, so for Jeter, he has a 72.4 and Larry Walker is 72.7. So it's something where it may not be at first glance, but those consecutive years, those overall production, those wins above replacement, they show in a great, you know, great career for Larry Walker as well. And that's why he did make it. And that's why it, it did come to a shock, maybe that it did take this long and, and something that maybe gained traction over the last 10 years with new stats and kind of, uh, you know, even people logging these things, having business analytics that are helping with these, you know, stats and saber metrics to help these guys out. So I think it's well-deserved and yeah, it, it's something that they both deserve it. And so, do you have your top 10 list that you were going to put in going into the hall? Uh, yes, I do, actually. Uh, so, if I if I were given voting power uh, for this year, my votes, I would have used, used all 10, which uh, they're not required to do. But I would have voted for Jeter, Walker, Schilling, Clemens, Bonds, Gary Sheffield, Todd Helton, Manny Ramirez, Jeff Kent, and Andrew Jones. That's uh, that's really just based on uh, first impression. It's that's without any any statistical lookup I- influencing my decision there. That was that was purely based off uh, gut. And so I do feel free to ri- ridicule that all you want. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it's it, it's not perfect, but about half and half we share. There's other voters that agree with me, so I you know I don't feel too bad. 
Um, but uh, yeah, you know, personal opinions uh, are, are welcome. And, and that's, I mean, obviously that's the point of the show. So, so I would vote them in. Uh, that's my, that's my list. Um, you know, I, I debated a bit. Uh, I felt bad. I, like I said, Canerco couldn't stay on uh, a bit longer, but anyways, it, you know, there's, there's probably a good reason for that. So, okay. So that concludes, uh, today's episode of the baseball experience. Thank you for listening. If you're looking for more content, be sure to check us out at thebaseballexp.com. You'll find this episode and more. Be sure to also check out our blog for additional content that didn't make it into today's show. You can also sign up for our email list and never miss out on new content that's coming out. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Baseball Experience and check out our Facebook page as well. Uh, We're your hosts, Chris and Cody Nicholson, signing off on The Baseball Experience. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you later. later.